0: Thanks, Trevor. Um, yeah, a couple of us were trying to work out beforehand when, when the last time I was here was. Um, been in regular contact with, with Trevor and other leaders. And, and I don't know if you found that after the pandemic, that, that um, you see people and you just kind of say hi and then you realise that you've not seen each other in person um, for a long time. And it just feels so good um, to be back amongst you this morning. I love this um, church community. And... Um, Honestly, you you may or may not be aware of this um, because sometimes when we're part of something and it's the familiar, week in, week out, um, we don't notice things as much sometimes, but there is a real sense of expectancy and anticipation just being amongst you um, this morning. As you were singing uh, about the threshold and that word came, I had a real um, strong sense, a witness in my spirit, that yeah, God is about to do something amazing uh, and fantastic with you as a community. And I was reminded of that um, verse um, in Jeremiah it's very familiar to many of you Jeremiah 29:11. 11 I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you to give you a hope and a future and I just have that sense um, God has a great future uh, for this community so many of us, different church communities, in different ways have been through our ups and downs over this last season, challenged in so many ways, shaken in so many ways through um, not least the pandemic that we've referred to. But, but as we're shaken and as God shakes things up and moves things around, he's always got a great, fantastic plan and future for us as his people, and I really sense that for you as a community. Um, I was saying to the guys at the back before, I do have some slides, but I've no idea really whether they're actually going to fit anymore. um, Because I've really had a sense since I woke up this morning of God just shaking things up a bit in terms of what I plan to bring. So please be patient with me if I'm not terribly structured. Um, Have a a sense of what God wants to um, say and share with you this morning. Uh, And so much of what's been said already really kind of fits in with that. So if I don't remember to refer to it all, Um, You can go away and kind of like piece it all um, together. Don't know if you've ever watched that program um, on TV. Um, Who do you think you are? Have you ever watched that? It's basically... Yeah, I've got... I'll start with a slide. (laughs) Um, It's basically, you you see different celebrities. um, You have one each time, and they trace back their family tree. I'm guessing that they actually ditch the boring ones because it turns out that they've always got some um, incredible story um, in their family history. It turns out that their ancestor actually saved the world, or, or there's some scandalous thing in the past that they'd really rather move on from. But um, you, you see these celebrities very often getting quite emotional. Um, it's very powerful watching the sense, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they're acting up a little bit for the camera, but it's, it's very powerful, this sense of connection that people have with their family tree, with their past and with their history. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about your whole theme of exile and eternity. And I was thinking about this, this whole challenge of being in a foreign land, um, and that made me think about families that emigrate, families, and, and maybe we have some amongst us this morning, families that have come from one part of the world to another, perhaps from one culture to another. And in our church back in Manchester, probably the majority of us are a minority um, in our church community, and so we're very familiar with that that um, wrestle that families often experience when they come from one culture to another, and it's like... Um, We want to preserve something of our family identity. We want to preserve something of our culture, of our roots, of our identity. And, And you quite often see a struggle to one extent or another between parents and their children between parents who are, who are desperate, understandably, to, to preserve, to hold on to something of that identity because this is who you are and this is where you've come from. But very often the, the younger generations are really struggling and wrestling with, I just want to fit in. I just want to fit in with the culture that I'm living in, in the society that I'm in. So you sometimes see this tension between the different generations where where one is saying I want to hold on to who we truly are and the other is saying well I want to become more like the culture in which I live. And putting these together, thinking about this this profound impact of who our ancestors are, who our parents are, it made me think there there are kind of two major things that we receive from good parents. I know some of us haven't had the best experience um, with parents. Um, and we thank God for his perfect parenthood. And we'll come on to that. But, but good parents, they provide two things. I'm sure they provide more than two things. Um, but they provide two major things, it seems to me, for their children. They provide love. And they provide identity. They provide love and they provide identity. Our parents give us a sense um, of who we are. And it shapes us, doesn't it? It shapes our expectation. It shapes how we do life. It shapes our values. There are things that seem normal to us, um, because that's just the way it always was in our home. And then if you um, end up in a relationship or maybe you live with someone, a friend, and, and suddenly the things that you thought were perfectly normal, suddenly it turns out wasn't normal to everybody else. Um, and, and you know, some people find that they clash a bit when they first you know, start sharing a home with someone or get married or whatever it is. They, they realize, I thought that was perfectly normal. I thought that was a, a value that everybody... Because we get so much Of our sense of identity, our sense of value, of what is normal, what is right, and what is wrong from our parents. Let me change tack slightly for a moment and hopefully it will all work out. Um, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 17 to 31. To start with, this may seem like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had such great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier. For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. about an inheritance of eternal life exile and eternity and of course the thing we're longing for is eternity the thing we're longing for is eternity and of course when we read the bible we re- begin to realize that eternity is not so much about length of time you know if if all it was was more and more of what you have now we may be not quite so excited about eternity. If it was just like never-ending this, we might be a bit disappointed. Yeah. But of course, eternity speaks of a quality. It speaks of a kingdom that Jesus spoke about. A kingdom where God, heaven's perfect love and justice come together. Where where everything is as it always was meant to be. Where We experience perfect relationship with God and everything in his creation experiences perfect relationship with him. So there's no more mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. That's what our hearts long for. God has placed eternity in all of our hearts and we long for that. We long for that eternity. But this this young man, um, well, I guess he's trying, to, he's trying to attain to that. He's trying to attain to eternity. And he says, well, what have I got to do? And, and Jesus homes in on the one thing that is going to be really difficult for this young man. He says, well, give everything away. Give everything away. And this young man goes away Sad. This seems impossible for him. This seems like an impossible ask from Jesus. Um, How could he give away everything he has? It seems to me that his wealth has become so important to him. It's it's his identity. It's who he is. And this ask from Jesus, he kind of wants to do the right thing it seems, but this ask from Jesus is too much. And it strikes me that we still struggle today sometimes, don't we, with material things? That that desire for wealth or just to be comfortable, I mean, we, we kind of sometimes say to ourselves, oh, well, I'm not asking for much. You know, I don't have to have, I don't know, a Tesla, I'll just settle for this. Or um, maybe it's, it's not so much the actual wealth, but the success the success that the the world tells us um, that we ought to attain to, that the values that the world tries to fit us into, the mould that the world tries to squeeze us into, what does it look like to be a great person? What does it look like to be successful? Um, But maybe it's not money. I wonder if there's something else in your life or in my life that it feels impossible to give up. Because that's what was going on here. This is the lesson that Jesus was teaching his disciples. He said, with man, this is impossible. With man, for you on your own, without God, this is impossible. And I wonder what are the things that we find impossible or almost impossible to give up. What are the things that our society has kind of lured us into thinking, well, that's just normal. I'll give you an example. You know, our society is just so built around like sex and sexual identity and sexuality and it is getting harder and harder to preach um, abstinence outside of marriage because congregations are just like, you know, you know, especially younger congregations are just like really struggling with that because it just seems so old-fashioned and so irrelevant and so counter-cultural. It's like you're weird if you teach that now. It's like, you know, well, e- it, it's even in, in the churches, it's becoming like, well kind of like, yeah, maybe it says that, but we, we all know that kind of we, we've got to kind of be a bit different now. and Because society, it kind of squeezes us into this mold. It lures us into a different way of thinking. And if we watch anything, unless we've like thrown the TV away completely, if we watch anything, if we have Netflix or Amazon Prime or other streaming services are available, um, you know, It's just there everywhere, isn't it? And and if you're really honest, how many times have you found yourself watching something and hoping that the couple that are both in difficult marriages but really love each other, oh, I just hope they get together. And then suddenly you catch yourself and you think, whoa, hang on a minute. Or, you know, you see the couple who, 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 who aren't married, but they really love each other. Oh, you know, and, and you feel glad when they get together. And, and then you kind of think, oh, how, how am I supposed to feel about that? Is that just me? No. Because it becomes normal, doesn't it? And so when you say to a young person today about what God teaches about marriage and, and sex and, and sexual identity... It's like you're asking for the impossible. You're asking for the impossible because that is just too different to everything I've heard at school, everything I've been taught, everything my mates all around me have said is normal. You're asking for something that it it just feels like ridiculous, as ridiculous as asking a wealthy man to give up everything he has. And yet Jesus seems to put these incredible demands on our life. I've just given you one example, but I wonder what it might be for you. Maybe it's maybe it's the just just the, the kind of hopelessness and despair, the kind of negativity that there is in our society right now. Because you know everything's like bleak, isn't it? There's just like a terrible future there's this war that doesn't seem to end, there's the cost of living crisis, that, and it's like the doom and the, and the gloom, and, and I'm not belittling what's going on, it's serious, but, but there's this sense of, and so we can start to, we can start to feel like maintaining a place of faith and expectation for the future, and a great and glorious future for God and his people, that can feel like almost impossible, to hold on to. What is God asking of us that feels impossible? And yet Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He wasn't talking in that moment about the blessing or the miracle that someone was seeking. You know, we like to quote that, don't we, when we want a miracle? Um, You know, it seems impossible that I'll get that promotion, but with God, all things are possible. It seems impossible that I'll get that holiday that I've been longing for, but with God, all things are possible. But actually, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being able to give up the impossible thing that you thought you had to have, that society told you you had to have, that, that was part of your identity, part of what you were longing for, and to let go of that seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1, it says this, See what great love, the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him and so uh, John carries on. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That verse is so powerful. We could just spend our whole lives in that verse. See what great love. God makes his love for us manifest. Um, He makes it known in the fact that while we were still sinners, while we were still far off, while we were still feeling that it was impossible to give up the thing that we were pursuing. While we were still feeling it was impossible to let go of that identity that we've taken on from the world around us. While we thought it was impossible to be the kind of people that God calls us to be, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And what did he do when he died? He reconciled us with God our Father. And in that moment, we became adopted as God's children, see what great love, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, and in that moment, our whole identity changed, and it was the greatest miracle that you and I will ever experience in our entire lives. The greatest miracle that you, who had only a human identity, suddenly got a whole new ancestry. Suddenly got a whole new identity. And now, as much as you will want to continue to honor and celebrate your family history, and that's great. And as much as you will want to honor and celebrate the the culture or the ethnicity, the race that you're from, and that's great. We love to celebrate the diversity of of all of God's people from all over the world. But all of that suddenly now becomes secondary to my primary identity as a child of God. And suddenly who I am as a child of God can shape my identity and my values more than anything else. And that is what empowers me and enables me to let go of that which I thought was impossible to let go of. Not because I tried harder. Not because someone got up the front and told me the rules say you can't do this or you should do this. Or someone did a really great Bible teaching showing us ethical values and how we ought to live. Those things are all true, but what actually gives us the power to change is that Jesus came and died for us and enabled us to become children of God. And so I find it very interesting that Trevor would stand up here at the start and say from Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. And we sang together about waiting on God and his love drawing us and leading us on. Because it's as we understand that my greatest worth, my greatest worth and your greatest worth is that you are loved by God. There is nothing more important about you than the fact that you are loved by God. There is nothing in your identity. There is nothing that this world can offer. There is nothing that society says you should be or that you should have that is greater than being loved by God. And our challenge as the people of God is to allow that to become what defines us. That as we live as exiles, waiting for eternity, as we usher in eternity as we long to pull something more of eternity into our here and now as we long to show others around us the beauty of his kingdom there is nothing more important there is nothing that will help us more than understanding who we are as loved sons and daughters of God that is who I am I have to remind myself of that of that constantly And it takes me back to that thought of those families that have moved from one part of the world to another. Because actually, any family in that situation will tell you they have to work really hard at maintaining identity. They have to work really hard because it doesn't happen naturally. Because everything around them is pulling them into the culture in which they're now living. Everything around them is pulling their children into that culture in which they are now living. And it has to be intentional and it has to be focused. There has to be a decision. We're going to keep celebrating who we are. That's our challenge as we live as exiles here in a foreign culture, in a culture that isn't entirely in line with the way God calls us to identify and and to express and experience our lives. We're challenged to keep putting in that effort to say we will remember who we are we will celebrate who we are as children of God. We will remind ourselves, when I'm feeling the pressure, when I, when I catch hold of myself and I realise again, I'm just desiring the same things as everybody around me in this world, and we remind ourselves, but I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I've been born again from above. I have a new origin. I have a new destiny. I have a whole new identity. And I will remember who I am. I don't know if you've seen The Lion King. I love that moment when um, Mustafa is saying to Simba, remember who you are. Um, We have to remember who we are, it's so easy to forget. It's so simple, so basic, isn't it? So fundamental, but we have to keep coming back. And that's why it's so important that we have those times like this morning when we are stilled in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I was just there and I was just like, this is a holy moment. This is a precious moment just to remember again who I am as a child of God. He loves me and that is far more important Than anything else in my life. He loves me. And he caused his spirit to live inside of me. And now I am a new creation. And the old has gone. And the new has come. And I find my identity in him. That is who I am. Who do you think you are? What's really most important about your identity. I did have some other stuff that I had intended um, to say this morning, but I kind of feel we ought to, s- to land on that moment. I wonder if um, the guys could come back, Paul, um, if you'd be happy, um, just to maybe start us in that place again of um, that song we sang, um, Hold Me Close, Let Your Love Surround Me. So I believe the Holy Spirit just wants to minister to us um, this morning to remind us of who we are. There's a, there's a line in that song that says, The weaknesses I see will be stripped away by the power of your love. Seems a bit simplistic, doesn't it? seems a bit like you know when you've when you've been wrestling with some area of repetitive sin in your life and it's like oh right it just be stripped away by the power of his love and that is true yeah. Yeah. that is true it's as we come back to our identity in him and we realize who we are as loved children of god and what jesus has done by shedding his blood on the cross the ultimate expression of love That's where our hope of being able to move on from all these things that if we're honest, we've all experienced them. In one way or another, there are things about this culture in which we live, this society in which we live, that may not be the same for every one of us, but every one of us experiences it in one way or another. Just that, sometimes it's subtle, we don't even know what's going on, but just that desire to be like the world in which we live and it's so important that we keep coming back to this place. God, let me just stand still in your love. Let your love overwhelm me again. Let your love delight me again like it did at the beginning. Let your love fill me with hope and anticipation for eternity with you, and let me live from that place. When Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 1 he says he prays that being rooted and established in love the church will have the power to do everything that it's called to do it's this incredible passage where he talks about this wonderful destiny for the church and all these amazing things that the church is called to do to, to, to be you know, a witness to, to powers and authorities in the heavenly realms and all of this and to see everything come together unto Jesus and And yet he says, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love because that's the key to it all, our identity in him.